Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Starter questions. On the top of your handout, and if you don't have one, they're in the back on the top of the white boxes. Um, I'd like you and your spouse, your partner, your, if you're single, just ask, this, ask these questions and grade them. The rating scale is never a zero up to a always being four. And if you give, a, uh, if you give yourselves an answer that's a total of 12, I want you to come on up and teach the class. And if you're at a number of six, we all have work to do. If you're at zero, there is counseling available. Uh, Mary, Beth, and, uh, and uh, Maurice and uh, others are available to help you with those issues. But seriously, take, take time, answer those questions as an individual. And if you are engaged or if you're married, share that. Compare notes. And we'll talk about this later on. Now, the source of these questions... Uh, and I'm going to point to this week, is Wayne Mack. Wayne Mack has a wonderful book, Homework Manual for Biblical Counseling. That's where these questions came from. Kim and I, when we were uh, courting, sparking uh, on the way to marriage, we did a book by Mr. Wayne Mack, One Plus One Equals One, which has become Preparing for Marriage. Excellent, gospel-saturated, scripture-rich edition that is very good. Uh, If you are looking for uh, something to give someone who's preparing for marriage. If you yourself are looking for that something, um, I would highly recommend that book. Well, let's go to the purpose and foundation of a treasured marriage. The purpose and foundation of a treasured marriage. All right. Last week we talked about the meaning of marriage. This week we'll be discussing the purpose and foundations of a treasured marriage for Christian couples. One of our assignments was to consider the issue, uh, and that is from Matthew 22, verses 20, uh, 37 uh, to, uh, let's see, where is that? To 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. And I ask the question, uh, and I do give homework. Uh, for one of, our, one of our couples to talk about how this is a good foundation for your life together. And Caleb Patton has bravely volunteered to answer that question, and he is with us today. Caleb, so you and your dear wife looked at that verse. Tell me about how that verse is providing a good foundation. Well, there you go. Just uh, the Matthew passage for now. Yeah. Oh, on, 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 on her part, it's harder to love the neighbor because you are the closest neighbor, Caleb. Well, that was Denise Patton who said, uh, loving uh, God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength is the foundation. And then, of course, your neighbor, your closest neighbor being your spouse. And that's, that's very true. Engaged couples are often quick to talk about their love for each other. Now, the questions that come up in engagement as couples are learning to know each other, even maybe even before they're actually engaged. One of the issues is when 
do these fruits manifest themselves? When does a godly young man demonstrate that he is spiritually capable of being a leader? And ladies, if you are looking at a young man and considering whether or not this would be a life mate, a partner through life, a husband, that's a very important question to ask in the beginning. When does he show spiritual initiative coming to church using biblical principles? We'll talk more about this as we go along this week, but I wanted to bring that up. Now, as engaged couples rapidly talk about the love for that they have for each other, you know, not only at the start, but throughout most of their lives, they often find themselves thinking about their spouse or future spouses. A question for you. What could be the temptation and impact of treating your beloved as the center of your universe as opposed to a mind filled and focused on the love of God? What could be the temptation? What could be the impact if you elevate your relationship with someone else above your relationship with Almighty God? What could happen? Yes, Kathy. Your expectations, expectations are way out of line. Yeah. What else? Any other thoughts? Expectations, priorities. You know, that could also feed your selfishness, couldn't it? That you see this person as the one who's going to fulfill everything that you want and need. And if they don't, then there's going to be trouble. There's going to be difficulty. Heart, soul, and mind. As you think about relationships and the scope of what our Lord commands, how does that work out in the relationship between husband and wife? Most people today do not bring their courtship and marriage a great vision of God. Who he is, what he is like, how he acts. In the world, there is almost no vision of God. He's not even on that list to be invited. He is simply and breathtakingly omitted. Even in the church, the view of God that we can bring to relationship is often small instead of huge. And so often marginal instead of central. So often vague instead of clear. So often impotent instead of empowering and determining. And so often uninspiring instead of ravishing. That the thought of living marriage to the glory of God is without meaning, without content. We need to see that the chief treasure of our marriage is God's amazing glory. Now the other verse that we assigned last week is Isaiah 43, uh, verses 6 through and including 7. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I created for my glory whom I have formed, even whom I have made. God created men and women, husbands and wives, fiancés, single people, divorced people, widowed people, for his glory. For his glory and for him means for the display of his glory, or the showing of his glory, or for the magnification of his glory. God is the ultimate reality, we are not. The universe is not. Marriage is not. God is the one whose absolute 
in existence. Everything else is from him, through him, and for him. Woe to us if we think that for him means for his need or for his benefit or for his improvement. So if we build something for our glory, how is that different from God's creative acts? How is doing something for our glory different than God doing something for his glory? What's the difference? What's the distinction? This is when everybody contributes. Yes, Renee. Expand on that, if you would, please. Excellent. Yeah, it's fitting. It's appropriate for God. God is, is deserving of the glory. He is the apex of all of reality. It's appropriate for him. We can become readily, as Paul Tripp says, glory thieves, where we seek to do something. It's all for us that we would get the praise, the honor, the attention. And God himself is the only one that is worthy. We need to be absolutely convinced, like Tozier, in his expression, that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and anything. There's nothing missing in God that he needs our glory, our attention. What we think about God is the most important thing that can be said about us. It's a starting place for understanding marriage. You get this wrong and everything goes wrong. Get it right, really right, in our heads and our minds and our hearts and our marriages will be transformed by it. Our marriages will become what it was created by God to be, a display of all the truth and worth and beauty and goodness of God. It's foundational. It's, it's a foundational truth. It's bedrock. You're seeing a lot of ads right now with companies that go out, and if your foundation is settling and there are cracks in the walls of your house and the exterior of your house, they're going to come up and they're going to sure, shear that up, shore that up. They're going to maybe pump concrete down there. Maybe they're going to put jacks down and reach under the foundation. Well, God's glory ensures that the foundation is firm. I'm going to ask that we all read this together, uh, this expression. I believe you have this on your printout. Uh, it's a quote from Mr. Piper. Let's read this together. Marriage exists to magnify the truth and worth and beauty and greatness of God. God does not exist to magnify marriage until this order is vivid and valued. Until it is seen and savored, you will not experience marriage as a revelation of God's glory, but as a rival of God's glory. That's critically important, and it's distinct. It's absolutely distinct, and Piper, of course, is known for this. By the way, if you're going to be married, um, if you're considering getting on one knee, gentlemen, and opening up a little velveteen box. There are two breakout lunches that I want to invite you to. 
The first one is uh, entitled, Don't Waste Your Engagement. And it's really what the question that was given to me earlier was. You know, how do we recognize that this is an appropriate person to walk down the aisle with? Is this a godly man? Is this a person who is willing to listen to counsel? Is this a person who refuses to address issues? Is this the type of life partner that I want to focus on? That's the first luncheon that I'd like to invite you to. Don't waste your engagement. The second luncheon is don't break the bank. <laughs> don't break the bank. The most expensive wedding that I was able to find cost $55 million. The average wedding in the United States, $34,000. not that amazing? More than you guys paid for your first house? The average recommended is 10% of your combined annual salary. Kim and I got married for 300 bucks. <laughs> and here we are 42 years later. Somehow it stuck. <laughs> it wasn't the most extravagant affair. We didn't have a lot of money. Mom and Dad didn't have a lot of money. But by God's grace, we were married. So two lunches, don't waste your engagement. And number two, weddings don't break the bank. So if there are people that are on the way to the uh, wedding altar, I recommend that we uh, participate in that. Everything exists to magnify the truth, worth, beauty, glory, and greatness of God. Marriage, and our marriages in particular, exist to move the appearance of God in people's mind toward ultimate reality. It's truly a reflection of Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Alistair Begg recently said this, at the very best, we only have an inkling of the wonder of who God is. To be a disciple of Christ, to be his follower, to be a Christian, and to be a good spouse, we must study God as he really is. We must get our understanding and interpretation of God and reality, our worldview, from Scripture. It is in Scripture that God is revealed truly. His character, his activity, his heart, his glorious redemptive plan, most profoundly, in the Bible, we encounter God as he ultimately has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is the truth, John 14, 6. To know him is to know the truth. Truth-based marriages are inherently centered on Christ. Consider then these aspects of our infinite, eternal, unchangeable, faithful, triune God and how they form the capstone, the keystone, the cornerstone, the focal point, the Rosetta Stone, the one true North Star for our life as individuals and as couples. First, he exists eternally without beginning or end. That's not just a theological nicety. That impacts our lives where we live. He is above our problems and devastations. 
He is above all of the wrecks of history. Because of this, together with the psalmist, we can say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because he is eternal, without beginning, without ending. Second, basic truth of who he is that is a practical reality. His knowledge makes a library of Congress with its 164 million different articles seem like a Spider-Man comic book. Since he is the source of all knowledge, all truth, all wisdom, when we are confronted with life's difficulties, again, as a single person or as a couple, that amazing resource is at our fingertips. He commands us, if you lack wisdom, ask of him, and he will give freely. Third, his wisdom is unfathomable. There is no end to his knowledge about how to deal with a difficult boss, how to deal with financial issues, how to deal with intimacy issues. When troubled over life, relationship, heart issues, we take comfort in the limitless, generous supply of counsel that he provides to us without shaming us. Next, again, a very basic truth about God. His authority and rule is over all of heaven, earth, every created thing and being. It's not just an intellectual nicety we store away. Though we are confronted with our impotence and our inability to change our circumstances, the enormity of his power and providence gives us confidence when we petition him. He hears our prayer. The psalmist says, the psalmist calls him, you who answer prayer. And hopefully you've seen that in your life as you've petitioned him for specific things, that he's answered your prayers. He's addressed those things. It's not only his power, but his providential control. The glorious truth of his providence, that he's in control of all things, including the hairs on our head. For some of us, the rapidly diminishing hairs on our head. But he's in control of all things. Knowing this, keeps us from nihilism, hopelessness, and despair. We live in a society that defends two men or two women engaging in a sexual relationship and wildly, inconceivably, calling it marriage. It shows that the collapse of our culture into debauchery and anarchy is possibly not far away. Years ago, a Hollywood jewelry store even advertised wedding rings for rent. Let that sink in. Wedding rings for rent. In our class, we'll leave the cultural distortion and focus on a vision of marriage that's higher, deeper, stronger, and more glorious than this culture or even ourselves ever imagined. The greatness and glory of marriage is beyond our ability to think or feel without divine revelation. The illuminating and awakening work of the Holy Spirit we know marriage as we learn more from God. Now, I'm going to throw out a question. I don't want an answer immediately because I will 
we'll come back to this question in a few moments. How can marriage glorify God? How can marriage glorify God? How can your marriage, how can your future marriage glorify God? We'll come back to that. Marriages exist by the master architect's design and invention to magnify the truth and worth of beauty and greatness of himself. He formed the man. He created the woman for relationship with man. He gave away the first bride. He defined the duration, described the bone-deep, decisive, permanent commitment, and blessed the one-flesh union. Marriage was not just invented by God. It belongs to him. He has a unique claim over it, over its design, its purposes, its goals. It actually exists for him more than it exists for you and for me. Knowing God and cherishing God and valuing the glory of God above all things, including our spouse, is the key to living marriage to the glory of God. It's true in marriage, as in every other relationship. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Who's the source of that quote? John Piper. John Piper. <laughs> I heard that voice. Uh, Here's a key that unlocks a thousand doors. Superior satisfaction in God himself above all earthly things, including your spouse and your health and your own life. Psalm 63, verse 3. Your steadfast love is better than life. God's steadfast love is the source of great long-suffering without which husbands cannot love like Christ and wives cannot follow like the bride of Christ, the church. Last week we touched on this verse, and you're familiar with the verse. Sometimes we focus on the roles that this verse represents and not dig into the attitudes behind those roles. Wives, be subject to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul makes it plain that husbands take their cue of leadership and love from God himself, from Christ. And wives take their cues of submission and love from the devotion of the church for whom he died. And both of these complementary acts of love, to lead, to submit, are absolutely unsustainable for the glory of God without a superior satisfaction in all, that God, in all that God has for us in Christ. Marriage is patterned and planned before the foundation of the world after Christ's covenant relationship to his redeemed people, the church. Therefore, the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church 
on display. Your marriage, your relationship, whether it's present or future, is designed to reflect, to display, to make even more glorious if possible as a representation of the relationship between Christ and his people. It ain't just the bridesmaids' gowns and the rice or the flower petals that get thrown. It ain't just the antique classic car that you rent for five minutes. No. This is why marriage exists. If you're married, this is why you are married. If you hope to be that, that should be our dream. Now, there are two ways that guys that God shines through his glory through marriage um, does everybody know what a floating house is a floating house is basically a a pad on the water it doesn't have a motor and you have to take a boat out to the floating house it has a foundation big floating pad, a raft, and then on top of that it has a structure, a small house. Well, my daughter and son-in-law bought a floating house. <clears throat> and right away, um, he noted some things that were deficient. The deck of the floating house had some of the floor joists that were rotting. They need to be replaced. Some of the floats themselves needed to be replaced. That foundation was shaky. Then, after they got that intact, they wanted to add a loft for added sleeping space. But as they looked at the structure, they realized that there were very few studs in the walls. So they had to take everything off of the deck everything. They had to take the structure off the foundation because it wasn't strong enough to stand up over time. There are two levels at which the glory of God may shine forth in a Christian marriage. One is the structural level. The structural level when both spouses fulfill the roles God intended for them. The man as leader like Christ, the wife as advocate and follower of that relationship. When those roles are lived out, the glory of God's love and wisdom in Christ is displayed to the world. And again, that's the structure. That's the superstructure that's on top of the foundation. The second, there's another deeper, more foundational level where the glory of God must shine if these roles are to be sustained as God designed. The power and impulse to carry through the self-denial and daily, monthly, yearly dying that will be required in loving an imperfect wife and loving an imperfect husband must come from the hope-giving, life-sustaining, superior satisfaction in God. I don't think, gentlemen, that our love for our wives or theirs for us will glorify God until it flows from a heart that delights in God more than a marriage. Now, in a marriage, counseling, 
in an adult Christian ed class on marriage, we could get right into the weeds. We could talk about whether the cup goes into the sink or it goes into the dishwasher. We could talk about how many pillows go on that bed and what do you do with them. <laughs> but we need to talk about the foundation. We need to start there. And that's where we are. Marriage will be preserved for the glory of God when the glory of God is more precious to us than our marriage. Philippians 3 verse 8 says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. When we can say that about marriage, about our husband or wife, then that marriage will be lived to the glory of God. So, the question that I introduced earlier, the question that I intimated we would come back to, how does your marriage glorify God? How can your relationship with your beloved reflect that reality? What possible answers would you have for that? And again, this is group participation. This may not be your ideal. This may be what you hope and you wish for in the answer that you give. How is God glorified in your marriage? For those of you who want to teach, this is called a pregnant pause. It's also valuable in sales where you just state and then you just let it go. Right, Caleb? Serving each other sincerely. Good. Excellent. What else? How you deal with disappointment. Things not going away. Excellent. Never be afraid of the awkward silence, people. Yes, Kathy. Transparent and willing to learn. Am I willing to learn? Am I willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Excellent. Excellent. Uh -huh. We glorify God by not focusing on ourselves, our needs, our wants, our desires, but reflecting God's compassion for us in a selfless giving. Good. Anything else? Don't be shy. I know I'm shy. I know, I know. I build this wall around myself. I'm also a liar, so... God is glorified by the uniting of two people, totally different backgrounds, different family backgrounds, different socioeconomic status. Jesus united Jews and Gentiles who hated each other. 
radically different cultures. God is glorified by how people solve problems, how couples will solve problems. Now, I've recently spoken with a couple, and the the one individual refuses to talk about issues. The one individual just assumes that the other person in the party will simply acquiesce to whatever they decide on and doesn't want, doesn't want to solicit, is not interested in their opinion, their concerns. That's, that's a real issue. And hopefully it's an issue that this couple that's not married yet will recognize needs to be dealt with. God is glorified by how his people live and love through trials in a united way and to not get bitter or leave. God is glorified by how his principles are lived out. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. God is glorified when his disciples live out Christian marriage before others. There are four foundations of a treasured and glorifying marriage. There are four foundations. Proverbs 24, verse 3 says this, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and magnificent riches. The home you build in the house you occupy is established not by filling it with stuff, but by wisdom, understanding, and knowledge resulting in true, precious, lasting, enduring, and power-filled lives. So what are the central truths that married couples in Christ use in building? Let me suggest four vital, life-changing, Christ-centered facts which will transform us with discernment, insight, and perception. And this will form part of our homework for this week. Um, By the way, just so you know, Kim and I do these as well. So, first, knowing that Jesus Christ died for you both. The brutal, agonizing torture, the slaying of the sinless Son of God is a horrifying story which God used to change both of you as you recognize your sin and your need of the God who loved you both enough to motivate you to love him and to desire to be conformed to his image and reflect that love to those around you. So the question is for you to answer as an individual and for you to review with your beloved, how does God's love for me in Christ motivate me to love my spouse? How does God love for me in Christ motivate me to love my spouse? Second, second, know that Jesus has made you and is making you into a new person. Know that Jesus has made you and is making you into a new person. That familiar passage in 1 Corinthians confirms that if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature and is being transformed into his image. That conformity to Christ radically changes our relationship to others, especially those who are close to us. You are redeemed from the marketplace of sin and adopted into a royal family, becoming God's friend and have an advocate before God's throne. So the question is, what hope does God's truth and power in sanctification give you for your marriage, not only for yourself, but also for your beloved. What hope does God's power and truth and sanctification give you for your marriage?
Third, be convinced that Christ gives you all the resources you need to love, serve, give, and change. Be convinced that Christ gives you all the resources you need to serve, love, give, and change. And I would recommend review Romans 8, 31 through 35 and write out what is needed. I'm sorry, write out what is not supplied to you. Whose opinion in life controls how you feel about yourself and your world and your security? So there are two parts. The first is what's not supplied to you. And the second part is whose opinion controls how you feel in those three areas. That's the third foundation of a treasured and God-glorifying marriage. Number four. The fourth one is this. Know that Jesus is the only hero either of you need. I do not have to be my spouse's savior, nor do I need to be theirs. As Christians liberated to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, you are both given a proper focus and expectation for your hopes, dreams, disappointments, and futures. So the question to answer in that case and to review with your partner, your spouse, your beloved, maybe your future intended, is what benefits are Christ are ours if Christ is our hero and not our spouse? How do we benefit if I am not Kim's hero? That I don't have a red cape flapping in the breeze all the time. The love that we're meant to show is sacrificial, purposeful, nurturing, and steadfast just like the love of Christ for his church. It is in loving our spouses in that way that we treasure them, we treasure our marriage, and thus show that our love, commitment, and fidelity to Christ is our highest treasure. So, a couple of do-it-now points. Treasuring our marriage requires action. And again, even if you're not married, if you're single, if you're on your way to the marriage altar, if you've been married over 50 years, I think 52 or 53 years. 52? 53? 53 years. Even you veterans, a few steps we can take right away. First, review the answers at the beginning of this lesson with our spouse. Did you get a 12 and she got a 2? Did you have a two? <laughs> she had a 12. <laughs> Review that. Talk about that. Talk about ways to ensure that our purpose of glorifying God and delighting Him can be improved. Second, honestly evaluate your life and ask if there are regions where the glory of God, the glory of Christ, is not a primary goal. Talk with each other with candor and integrity to understand why they are not a priority. And then let's prepare for next week. 
Discuss with our spouse, your beloved, your intended. Consider the implication to your marriage that they married a sinner. Number two, get out a calendar and put down some follow-up steps for each of the do-it-now steps above. And then number three, review the four foundations together. 